This morning, I want to start by having us reflect a little bit. And what I want you to reflect on is uh, how many friends would you say you have? Of those friends, how many would you say that you hang out with or, or talk to on a regular basis? Of those friends, how many would you say that you call or text when something exciting happens? Uh, you find out you're going to have a child. You get your dream job. Uh, you win the lottery. You have that date on the calendar set for retirement and you can't wait. Uh, who do you call? Who do you turn to when you face struggles in life and adversity? Who do you call when you or a loved one gets diagnosed with cancer or some other illness or disease? Who do you turn to when you're having marriage problems? <coughs> when uh, you or a loved one is struggling with some kind of sin, maybe an addiction or uh, lust, gossip, you, you name the sin. Who do you turn to then? Who do you turn to when... Uh, parenting is a struggle and you're tired of all the other parents judging you for the way you raise your kids. Who do you turn to when work stress is so much that you're at wit's end? If you're like me, the list isn't very long. Especially when, we're, when I'm struggling. Uh, my list is probably about two people that I talk to when I'm struggling. We live in a, a country, we live in a society where uh, we have connections like crazy, right? And that's because at the touch of a button, we log on to Facebook and we, we check our Facebook profile and we see 1,000 friends or 100 friends. And we think we have this huge pool of friends that we can contact, right? But what are those relationships like? Those relationships are kind of like a 100-meter pool long. It's 100 meters long, but only two feet deep. They're not really that deep of relationships. They're more, I know those people, acquaintances. Today in America, over half of the adult population is single. The words like alienation and loneliness are key words and, and big words today, not just for single people, but married people too. And this has become, I don't know if acceptable is the right word, it's become the social norm. This is just the way it is. People are lonely today. And there are actually studies out there and, and uh, in the health world where they're trying to make drugs to deal with loneliness. Today in God's Word, we are going to hear that living for an audience of one isn't a solo mission. God created people to be with people. And that was evident on the sixth day of creation. God finished created, creating Adam and He said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will create a helper suitable for him. 
We see at the very beginning of creation that God created people to be with people, to do life together, to bear each other's burdens. That was evident from the very beginning. So what does that mean? That means that you aren't designed to do life alone. And yet in the face of adversity, what happens? We oftentimes don't rely on the people that God has placed in our lives, right? Why is that? Fear of rejection? Uh, Fear of being judged or ridiculed? Maybe sinful pride? We, We don't need help? But the truth is, God created us to do life together. It's not created to be a solo mission. And we find that out today in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, Have you ever heard of the book of Ecclesiastes? It is a book that's tucked in right behind the book of Proverbs and before Song of Songs. It's in the Old Testament. It was written around 950 B.C. by King Solomon. If you remember, King Solomon, uh, he was David's son. And when he took over the throne after David died, God said, Solomon, ask for whatever you want and I will give it to you. And Solomon said, Lord, I need wisdom. I need wisdom to rule your nation. And God said, okay. And he made him the smartest man to ever live. That's what the Bible says. The, the name Ecclesiastes is an odd one, but it just means teacher or preacher. And so this book is all about the words of the preacher, King Solomon. And in this book, what's very interesting is that King Solomon looks at life under the sun through the eyes of someone who doesn't know God's grace. And his conclusion If you don't know God's grace, if you don't believe in Jesus as your Savior, if you don't know God, life is meaningless. Through the whole entire book, he comes back to that same word. It's meaningless. Life is meaningless when we don't have God. And in chapter 4, we find out that life is meaningless when we don't have godly relationships. Here's what he says. In Ecclesiastes 4, starting with verse 8, he says, There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one, because they they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? It's interesting, isn't it, that what was a struggle back in 950 B.C. is a struggle today? Loneliness? Solomon tells us of a man who was not content with his wealth. And so he worked and he worked and he worked. And what did he what was that at the expense of? Relationships. He had no brother, but it, it could also be that he had no relationship with his brother because he worked so much that he didn't have a, a family. He cut himself off from his family. He had no son because he worked so much that he didn't have time to get married and have kids. 
his eyes were always on his wealth at the expense of his family. Are we working so much to the extent that we uh, cut off our relationships? Are we letting the busyness of life get in the way of making lasting Christian friendships? Be honest with yourself. How many people have you cut off from your life because it was inconvenient and too hard uh, to keep the relationship up? The busyness in your life got in the way, and so uh, you just let that relationship slide, and you no longer have that relationship. Really, there's two reasons why we let relationships slide, right? And we cut relationships off. Or we don't even start relationships. One is if we're realistic about it, every single friendship and relationship that we have, it's going to disappoint us at some time, right? Why is that? Well, our friends are sinful, our family, they're sinful, and we are sinful. That's just a match made for disappointment at some point. And so knowing this, We go into relationships, we go into meeting people, and we think, I'm not going to let them in. I'm not going to be vulnerable. I'm not going uh, to let someone in to judge me. I'm not going to let someone in just to let them disappoint me. Because what happens? We let people in, and they disappoint us, and we get filled with bitterness, anger, and it's hard to forgive. And then when that happens, it's easier just to cut that person off than to mend the relationship because that's a lot of work. And that's really the second reason why uh, we, we let relationships slide. It's because it does take a lot of work, right? Relationships aren't easy. We work all week long. We have busy schedules. And then we come home and we have to maintain relationships and that takes a lot of work. But being in a relationship means that we're there for the good times and the bad, right? We're there for celebrating. We're there to be the crying shoulder. We're there to maybe cook a meal. We're there to build each other up, right? We're there to listen. And like I said last week, listening takes a lot of brain power. So yeah, you get back from your long work week. You, you have to feed the kids and, and put them down to sleep. And then you're supposed to maintain relationships That's a lot of work. And so we become some of those people that they come home from work, they pull in their driveway, they have the doors locked, windows up, you open up the garage door, you wait for it to completely open, you pull in, turn off the car, close the garage door, and then once it's finally closed, you get out of your car so that you don't have to talk to any of your neighbors, so that you don't have to make relationships because it's too much work to make small talk. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, You know what, Pastor? I hear what you're saying, but God has made me unique. God has made me where I don't need support from anyone. I don't need the encouragement. I'm stable enough. And maybe He has. But maybe God has you in people's lives so you can be the encourager. What if... God wants you to be in someone's life to encourage them and you wrote them off because it was too hard, too inconvenient. 
even a scarier thought? What if God has you in that person's life because you are going to be the voice that keeps them connected to Jesus? And it was too hard, too inconvenient, so you cut that person off. Have you ever wondered why God created us to be relational? It's really because God Himself is a relational being, isn't He? Even before the creation of the world, what did we have? We had a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, relationship. God created Adam and Eve. Perfect. And the idea was that God, Adam, and Eve would have a perfect relationship together. Almost like a triangle. God at the top, Adam, Eve. Perfect relationship. But then Adam and Eve sinned, and that relationship was ruined, cut off. And that's our problem too, isn't it? We sin, and our relationship has been broken with God. And that's exactly why Jesus came into the world, wasn't it? It was to mend this relationship with God. And when Jesus died on the cross, that's exactly what He did. He shed His blood and He fixed the relationship. It was almost like a peace offering from us to God. Jesus said, here, I'm your peace offering to God. You are now forgiven. Your debt has been paid. Relationship fixed. And what was true spiritually was made seen physically. The letter to the Hebrews told us that. Again, the, the, the temple had one room called the Holy of Holies, the most holy place. This is where God dwelled. And the only one person could enter it. It was the high priest. And he could only enter it one time of year. And it was on the Day of Atonement. Uh, atonement's a big fancy word that just means making at one. So the day that we are made at one with God. And the high priest would go in and he would sprinkle blood all throughout. And it was him making... Uh, confessing the sins of the nation. And God would say, your relationship has been fixed. Well, when Jesus died on the cross, that big curtain that separated the, the Holy of Holies was torn in two. God tore it in two. And the, symbolic, uh, the, the symbolism was that God is now accessible to you. You are at peace with God. You have a right relationship with Him. You can go directly to God Himself. All because Jesus forgave your sins. You have been made holy. Your relationship has been fixed. So what does this mean for you on a day-to-day basis? Well, it means that God's never going to give up on you, right? He's never going to write you off. He's never going to think that your relationship with Him is too hard. He will always be there. You fail Him, you fail Him. He will always be there with arms wide open, waiting for you to come back, to embrace you in a hug and say, you are forgiven. He will never be bitter towards you. He will never be angry. He will just continually offer you forgiveness. What an amazing blessing that is, isn't it? to know that God will never give up on you, but that He will continue to offer you forgiveness. Unfortunately, we can't see and talk to God right now, right? Because we're still sinful this side of heaven. But what has our gracious God done? He's provided us with Christian friends 
who can be that crying shoulder, who can talk to us and, and, and give us God's Word and to give us encouragement. And that leads us to our second point. Living for an audience of one is impacted by the audience we do life with. King Solomon says, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. When I was younger, I used to go over to my dad's house. And my dad, he loved watching nature shows. And it seemed like every time i go over there, he'd, he'd be watching something on the African lion. Uh, but then again, maybe I just remember that one because I love the African lion. Um, but if you ever watch those, uh, what's so fascinating to me is how they hunt. Because lions, if you ever watch them, they do not go straight for a pack, do they? They look for the ones that are isolated, off on their own. Because they can easily overpower one. But when there's a pack, it's not so easy to overcome them. And the same is true with Satan, isn't it? The Bible describes Satan in First Peter as a, a, a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so Christian friends are very important because it's Christian friends who encourage us to stay strong. Uh, uh, two can defend themselves against Satan. And three, a cord of three is not quickly broken. Invest in Christian friendships, right? And the reason is because on our own, we are isolated and Satan can easily overpower us and lead us down a path we don't want to go. But when we have Christian friends along with us, encouraging us, feeding us God's Word, we're not easily overpowered by Satan's attacks. Think about it. When you're having marriage problems and you and your your spouse hang out with other Christian couples, it's easier to be encouraged, isn't it? When uh, you're struggling with a certain sin, it's easier to find strength to fight those temptations when you're hanging out with Christians. When uh, you're struggling with guilt, It's easier to uh, remember that you're forgiven as your Christian friends remind you that it's by the blood of Jesus, God's Son, that you have been purified from all sin. Christian friendships are so important because they impact the way we live. And that's what I want you to take away today. Our friendships matter to God because they influence how we live. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Do not be misled. Uh, Bad company corrupts good character. And how true that is, isn't it? Bad company does corrupt, corrupt good character. And that's why friendships matter to God. Because friendships, He wants us to have friends that are going to encourage us to live for His glory. Does that mean that you need to cut out those friends in your life that uh, don't know Jesus? No, absolutely not. Uh, You and I were called to be lights in the world, right? Again, maybe you will be that voice to lead them to the peace that you have, that heaven is yours because of Jesus. So don't cut them out. But it is a very big blessing for us to have Christian friends who will uh, rejoice with us and praise God with us, who will mourn with us, and remind us that Jesus is our Savior. As you look around here this morning, 
You see people that you probably don't know very well. Maybe you know some well, but others you don't. But there's something that all of you have in common, and that is you are all forgiven sinners. You are all forgiven, blood-bought children of God. And so I hope you can find those Christian relationships here at peace. Two can defend themselves. A, A cord of three is not easily broken. You, Christian friends, and Jesus. That combination of three cannot be overcome by Satan. So invest in Christian friendships. Grow those relationships and encourage each other all the more as you see the day approaching. Because when you do, you will live for an audience of one and glorify Him. Amen. Please stand. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank You for the friends that You have given us. We thank You for the encouragement. And we thank You for never giving up on us. We ask that You help us to grow deeper in You and in our friends. Amen.